Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the priest, and ate the, priest, ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good, or to do harm, to save life, or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Well, when I was in seminary, there was a restaurant uh, that was kind of close to where the seminary was, but a little bit, little distance away. Um, it was called the Ship, and I used to pass by the Ship every time I would head towards the Boston airport to go home. And the ship looked like a really cool place. It was literally looked like a, a big ship in the middle of a parking lot. And so I always thought it would be cool to stop there and uh, check it out. So one day my friends picked me up from the airport, and uh, I must have mentioned the ship before, and they s decided they were going to surprise me by taking me to the ship. And uh, so they take me to the ship, and it was a pretty cool place. It had a, you know, like I said, it looked like a ship. Um, really cool-looking looking place. It had a little gift shop there, and I'm kind of living it up and think it's great. And then they they bring out these rolls that kind of hard to describe. They came in this little um, holder-type thing. Uh, almost looked like a muffin, and they were the most beautiful rolls I'd ever seen in my life. I thought, this is awesome. Then I went and tasted one of the rolls, and it tasted like a hockey puck. And as we went through the meal, went on with the meal, the food was just terrible. I had a similar thing happen a few years ago. I had a certificate for uh, a really fancy restaurant in the in the area, and if I mentioned the name of the restaurant you probably would know uh where what i was talking about 
so I took Stephanie there for some special occasion, and as we walked in the restaurant, it had a beautiful exterior, beautiful interior, and the waiters were dressed really nice, really looked like an outstanding place to eat dinner. But the problem was the food. The food wasn't very good at all. Now, these two restaurants, they did a lot of things right. They had beautiful atmospheres. They had notoriety, respect in their communities. But somehow they had missed something that's very important for a restaurant if it's going to be successful. That's food. They had perhaps focused too much on the externals. The atmosphere. Marketing. To the expense of what was really important. I think that's similar to the situation that's occurring in this passage that we're looking at today. Some people, we don't know exactly who, probably just common people, they observe that John's disciples and the Pharisees' uh, disciples are fasting. Now, fasting means abstaining from food uh, or water. And fasts were done for a number of different reasons. There was one required fast for Jews that was done on the Day of Atonement. But there were also fasts which were done to indicate mourning or to express sorrow from sin uh, and express devotion to God. Now the Pharisees would often fast two days a week. But the Pharisees' fasting was often marred with hypocrisy. In short, it was kind of a demonstration to everyone around them that they were holy, that they were spiritual. So the Pharisees might have walked around all disheveled and said, Oh, oh my, I'm feeling a little faint. I haven't eaten anything all day. And people ask, Why? Well, I'm fasting. I have a fast to the Lord. That's why Jesus calls them out in Matthew chapter 6. And he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So Jesus condemns improper fasting. That is fasting that is simply an attempt to flaunt one's own holiness. But it seems like they just, some of these Pharisees and maybe the people in general misunderstood what the purpose of fasting was. And that's why they have this confusion about the disciple or why John's disciples fast and the Pharisees fast, but Jesus' disciples don't. Imagine a situation. Have you ever had a situation in your life where maybe you missed someone or something so much that your appetite was literally taken away? Maybe it was the death of a loved one. Uh, maybe it was the end of a relationship. Maybe it was a homesickness. And you just felt like you didn't want to eat anymore. You just felt such a longing for that person that it seemed like food didn't even matter. I think that's the root of what fasting means. Fasting is saying to God, what I want, what I need in my life more than food is you and your presence. An expression of, it's an expression of longing for God. Pastor and author John Piper puts it this way, Christian fasting at its root is the hunger of a homesickness for God. It's a hunger of a homesickness 
for God. So the Pharisees come to Jesus and say to the disciples, and say the disciples of John fast, the disciples of Pharisees fast, but you, your disciples don't fast. How does Jesus respond? Jesus says, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So a few things to point out. Question. How many times in the Old Testament is the Messiah or Jesus referred to as a husband or a bridegroom? The answer is zero. There aren't any times in the Old Testament where the Messiah is referred to as a husband or a bridegroom. But there are many times when God is referred to as Israel's husband or bridegroom. So in this statement, Jesus is implicitly equating himself with God, with God himself. Another thing to note, a wedding feast typically lasted for seven days. It was a time of eating, dancing, drinking, rejoicing. This would be the last possible time to fast. Even rabbis sometimes were uh, believed that they could give up their instruction during the time of a wedding. The guests were simply to enjoy themselves and celebrate the bridegroom. So what in essence Jesus is saying here is, I am the bridegroom. I am the object of all true spiritual devotion. If you are fasting correctly and you are longing for God, I'm the one that you're longing for. When you fast and you say, more than I want food, I want a relationship with God, I want God's presence, I am the object of that longing. So how could my disciples long for me when I'm still here? How can my disciples fast and mourn my absence when I'm among them? Now is the time not for mourning, but for rejoicing. Jesus continues and says the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. And then they will fast in that day. This statement would have been probably a little bit jarring to Jesus' hearers. Usually when a wedding was over, the guests would leave the bride and groom so that they could start their new lives together. A bridegroom would not usually be taken away from them. But this, of course, speaks to Jesus' eventual death on the cross. Imagine that you're at a wedding reception and people are dancing and eating, having a great time, and then you see two police officers come into the room, go up to the groom and arrest him and bring him out in handcuffs. It'd put a little bit of a damper on the party, wouldn't it? It might even take your breath or your appetite away. So Jesus says, when that day comes, then my disciples will fast. When I'm taken away from them, then they will mourn and long for my opinion. So what does this passage and the passage following mean for us today? How can we apply this to to our lives? Well, I think there's one main idea that can sum up what this can mean for our lives today. And it's this. Jesus shatters our expectations about what it means to follow God and in the process satisfies our souls. Jesus shatters our expectations about what it means to follow God and in the process satisfies our souls. Jesus says, you think that life is found in fasting. You think that life is found in Sabbath keeping, keeping the traditions, but life is found in me. The Old Testament traditions, they point to me. The one that you should be hungering for is me. 
Then Jesus gives two different parables or illustrations to demonstrate his point. Most of us don't mend clothing that much anymore. But if you had a big hole in your shirt and then you tried to mend it by putting a new piece of cloth over it that wasn't pre-shrunk, then eventually when you washed the garment, the patch would shrink and it would tear away from the garment and make a bigger hole than when you started. Likewise, Jesus says, nobody puts new wine in old wineskins. See, if new wine was put into an old wineskin, the leather that had that was old and brittle would break. And that valuable wine would be lost. The point of both of these parables are clear. Jesus does not fit into the Jewish traditional categories. Jesus is not an add-on to the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus claims, uh, Jesus completely aims to transform people's understanding of what it means to relate to God. Jesus shatters people's expectations. Many theologians throughout the history of the church have argued that the default mode of the human heart is a tendency towards works righteousness. That is, the default mode of the human heart is to try to earn or in some way be deserving of God's favor. Many Jews likely believe that the observance of every exact iota of the Jewish law was the most important factor in having a relationship with God. In essence, that we need to try to impress God with our good works. Yet Jesus hasn't come to confirm their works righteousness. He hasn't come because they need a little help following the law. He's, he hasn't come to tweak their understanding. Rather, he has, become, he has come because they couldn't keep the intention of God's law. He's, become, he's come because they are dead in their sins and they need a transformation. In John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, if you are going to see the kingdom of God, if anyone's going to see the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. Speaks of a complete and total transformation. Many people in our culture hold a similar view that the people in this passage held. Some people in this room maybe even hold this view. The logic goes like this. Jesus seemed like a pretty cool guy. He's loving. He healed people. And Jesus, what Jesus taught was pretty much the same as what any other religion taught. Just be nice to people. Just try to be a good person and then everything will work out, work out in the end. That's trying to fit Jesus into your worldview. That's not what Jesus taught. He didn't just teach that we need to be nicer to each other. He taught that, but more than that, he taught that we needed a heart change. We needed to be transformed from the inside out. Jesus shatters our expectations. After this, Jesus encounters some more situations where he demonstrates that the way that people have understood what it means to follow God is completely wrong. This time it's in regard to the Sabbath. The Old Testament describes the Sabbath as a day that is holy to the Lord. God made the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. Therefore the Israelites were also to rest on the Sabbath day. But what happened is that people started to get kind of silly with this particular law and lost meaning, lost the meaning behind the law. The Mishnah, which was a Jewish record, it was a little bit later of the oral traditions uh, of Judaism, Describes some different types of things that might be considered to be work. Among them, writing more than one letter. Sewing more than one stitch. 
It was record, it records that a, a dislocated arm or foot could not be reset on the Sabbath. A roof could be propped up but not repaired on the Sabbath. There's even provisions that if a building falls down on the Sabbath, it's permissible to move the rubble to see if anyone is alive. But if, some, but if someone is dead, their bodies must be left until the Sabbath is over. And so as Jesus' disciples are passing through a field, they pluck some, the heads of the grain. And the Pharisees are like, see, they're working on the Sabbath, Sabbath breakers. Jesus gives the example of David who ate the bread that was consecrated while he was fleeing from Saul and is hungry. And Jesus continues and he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the reason that I gave the Sabbath command is not so that you could debate whether writing more than one letter classifies work. That's not my intention. I gave you the Sabbath command so that you might be refreshed, so that you might have one day a week to rest from your work and to worship your God. God is not this type of authoritarian dictator who lays out completely arbitrary rules that the Jews had to just follow. The Sabbath was meant to promote human flourishing. It was in God's intention. And so Jesus, again, defies people's expectations, and then he proceeds to heal a man on the Sabbath who had a withered hand. And Jesus is seeking to demonstrate to the religious leaders that their expectations and their understanding of God is completely broken. And Jesus says, don't worship the Sabbath. Worship the Lord of the Sabbath. It's not about the form. It's not about just doing the keeping Sabbath rituals, fasting for the sake of doing them. It's about a relationship with the God of the universe. And so Jesus has worshiped the Lord of Sabbath. Before we go on, the question naturally arises, is the Sabbath command something that Christians should practice today? Ultimately, I think this is a matter of conscience. There's some things in Scripture that are crystal clear. There's other things that believers have to kind of make up their own mind about. Romans 14, 5-6 describes it this way, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So, while the exact parameters and regulations of the Sabbath were given to Israel, the, and those things don't necessarily apply to us as believers. Some of the ceremonial and um, civil laws that were given to Israel don't apply to us in the same way that they applied to Israel. So the specific regulations and parameters of the Sabbath don't apply to us as believers. But the idea of the Sabbath originated in God himself. God established the idea of the Sabbath when he rested from his work on the seventh day, and he established this pattern for believers uh, and for everyone, really, that one day a week would be set aside for rest and for connecting with God. This was given as a gracious provision. Now, how that looks for different people might be different. You know, we're not Jewish, and so the Sabbath was actually a Saturday. We worship on Sunday, the Lord's Day, because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So 
the exact parameters of what it looks like for each person might be different, but I think it's wise to practice some form of an extended period of rest and connecting with God each week because it's a pattern that God set for us. John Piper puts it this way, God's purpose for us on the Sabbath is that we experience the highest and most intense joy that can be experienced, namely that we take delight in the Lord. Yet what he finds again and again is professing Christians who prefer little human-sized pleasures from things that have no close relation to God at all. He writes, If you worked seven days a week in the hot sun to keep life and limb together, with scarcely any time for leisure and reflection, would you consider it burdensome if your God came to you with omnipotent authority and said, I don't want you to have to work so much. I want you to have a day a week to rest and enjoy what really counts in life. I promise to meet your needs with just six days of work. That is not a cruel command. It is a gracious gift. So whatever view you come to in regard to your Sabbath beliefs and Sabbath practices, allow it to refresh you. Don't allow it to be a burden upon you, but allow it to refresh you. Draw you deeper into relationship with God. Jesus shatters our expectations about what it means to follow God. And in the process, he satisfies our soul. Well, many of us remember a few years ago uh, when Nick Willenda walked the tightrope over the Niagara Falls. And uh, millions of people were watching as he walked through the mist and the wind and to see if he could make it to the other side. A person who is a tightrope walker is called a funambulist. And uh, experts say that a funambulist is constantly moving. They're constantly making little adjustments, constantly moving the bar, constantly shifting their feet back and forth. And to the naked eye, you might just look and not even notice some of these movements, but they're always moving. They're never really at rest. But there's a mistake that people make if they're trying to tightrope walk for the first time. Dan Thurman uh, writes this. Uh, Dan Thurman, uh, expert in funambulism, writes this. When new students step onto the rope or cable, they almost always begin with the same flawed game plan. They stare downward at the wire to ensure that they have the proper footing. So they fall. So what is the solution to the, this dilemma? If you've ever watched closely, if you ever closely watch professional tightrope walkers, you may recall that they never look down at their feet or the wire, or to either side side at their hands or the balance pole. Rather, they keep their head up and look toward the goal, the faraway platform in front of them. So the question I have for us today is: Who is the object of our faith? Who are we looking to? Are we looking down at our own efforts? At our own footing? At our own religious performance? Are we looking at the bar? The instruments of our religious performance? Or are we looking forward towards Christ? That's all that matters. All the forms... All the things we would consider to be good, the church attendance, the 
giving, the spiritual disciplines, uh, helping those in need. Those things are all great. But they're not the ultimate thing. They're meant to draw us deeper to God, into a relationship with God. Jesus shatters our expectations about what it means to follow God. And in the process, satisfies our souls.